Let's pray together. Most gracious heavenly Father, be magnified. Be exalted in this place, in our homes, in our hearts, and in our minds, that we would learn to worship you, that we would learn to reflect your glory back to yourself and out to a world that desperately needs the good news of Jesus right now. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles or your device with you this morning, I wanna invite you to open them with me to Acts chapter two. And then a little bit later on, we're gonna be back in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter four. In the 15th century, there was an astronomer, Nicholas Copernicus, who came up with the brand new theory of our solar system, of our universe. And it was very controversial. It kind of shook the scientific world and even the church at the time. Listen to what uh, he said. He said, if a man is to know the truth, he must change his thinking. Despite what we've said for years, the earth is not the center of the cosmos, but just one celestial body among many. The sun does not move around us. We move around the sun. You know, there was not a lot of people at that time that believed in this theory of, it was called heliocentric. And it, it caused what was called the Copernican revolution. Later in the 20th century, there was a psychologist who worked with, with children and studied their development. And he said, all children need to come to a point in their life where they have what's called the, the Copernican revolution. And it's a time in their lives where all children need to learn that, that they're not the center of their world. I mean, if you think about it as an infant, you know, when you come into the world, everybody's meeting every one of your needs. And so uh, we grow up with this, with this feeling that all of our desires and all of our, our needs will constantly be met. But life doesn't always work that way as we, as we grow up. You know, at one time we think that all walls in front of us should just move uh, so that I don't run into them or that all cars should just not be driving down the street when I'm ready to play in it. We grow up with this self-centered mentality. And then one day I think we, we say, well, well, duh. And it begins to dawn on us that, that I'm just one of many people. And I think that, that all of us in our lives, we grow up and we become adults, but we need a Copernican revolution in our hearts to realize that in this age of, of self, of, of self-determination, of self-realization, that we're not the center of the universe or the world around us. But if you think about it, if you're real honest with yourself, it's, it's tough. It's tough to, to, to get ourselves out of the, the center of everything around us because there's this natural pull that's inside of us in our human nature that just wants to, to look out for number one, don't we? Reminds me of this young mother. She had a, a couple of sons and on a Saturday morning, she was gonna cook breakfast for them and do something special. So she gathered her, her boys into the kitchen. She said, y'all sit down and I'm gonna make you guys pancakes. Well, if you've ever made pancakes, you know that it takes, you can't just crank them all out at the same time. It takes time to make like one at a time. So she said, I'm gonna use this moment as a teaching moment for these boys. And so she sat them at the table and she said, Boys, if Jesus were here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. Well, the oldest brother, he, he kind of caught onto the game quickly and he looked at his little brother and he said, hey, Ryan, you be Jesus. 
You see, he was looking out for himself. He wanted that first pancake, and that's how we are. We, we often see ourselves in the center of the universe. This morning, we're continuing a series on worship that Pastor John launched us into last week. And we've been learning that the cure for narcissism, for self-centeredness, is to worship our God, to worship our creator. Because worship is this, it's about shifting our focus. It's about shifting our perspective away from ourselves and all that we are wrapped up in. And, and we begin to shift our vision and our perspective up to our heavenly father. There's an old cliche that says, we hit what we aim for. And so one of the reasons that we come to worship is that we are realigning our aim upon our heavenly father and to to think about all that he has done and, and it's a response to his amazing blessings in our lives. And so let me ask you this, what are you, what are you aiming at right now? What are, you, what are you trusting in and and looking toward with all of your hope? See, I believe this morning, God is calling us back to his heart and to realize this right here, that in a culture that says it's all about me, a worship culture says it's all about him. So the cure for narcissism could be said this, the cure for narcissism is, is theism. It's theism, it's focusing on God rather than ourselves. Last week, Pastor John started us into this series on worship and we looked at what is worship. And so I wanna encourage you to go back and, and check that video out if you missed it. There's some fantastic information that John goes through some words in scripture that talk about worship. And we've learned that worship is more than just singing. Worship is, is more than just lyrics to a song and it's more than just coming up here uh, or tuning in to a service on Sunday. Worship is at the very core of who we are. Worship is at the, the core of each, of each and every single one of us. God designed us to worship him and to give him glory. And so this morning, we're gonna look, we're gonna go reaching all the way back to the early church in Acts. And then we're gonna reach forward and look at the eternal church as we come back to the heart of worship. Let's look in Acts chapter two at the early church and see what they were doing as they were kicking off this brand new Jesus following movement. In verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And then look at this right here. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the activities of the church, as we look back at the early church, we see that there was a couple of things going on. There was almost like you had a Y axis and an X axis. You had the vertical relationship. It says that they were praising God. And then this, this horizontal axis where they were fellowshipping together. They were drawing strength from each other and studying the word together. And so we see that from the very beginning of the early church that worship is foundational 
to who we are as God's people. He's called us to worship. If you think back all the way to the book of Exodus, when, the, when Moses led the children out of slavery, they were going out so that they could what? They could worship God. And that continued all the way through the, the life of God's people. And we get to the book of Revelation later and we see that, that, that God is the central focus of heaven, the central focus of all the activities and worship and, and the hosts of heaven and the, and the elders are worshiping him. There's been a few things that I've learned through the years about worship of us as I've led worship and music and studied the word of God. And I wanna share a few of those things with you this morning as we grow our understanding of what Jesus is calling us into in true worship of him. And so the first thing we're gonna learn this morning is that worship is intellectual. Worship is intellectual. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12. He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength with all your mind. Worship is intellectual. It's an intelligent response to God and it involves engaging our minds. As we consider the character of God, we, his creation, we consider uh, the provisions that he's poured into our life. And so why is it important that we worship God with our minds and, and in an intelligent way? It's that we need to realize that worship is more than just an emotional event where we get worked up into a frenzy, kind of like the, the pagans, but God wants us to engage our mind and, and he really wants this for us, that our theology, that our understanding of him as God would inform our hymnology or our worship songs and our praises and the, the elements and the parts of our service and so that we would use our minds to understand him. And when we engage that, and when we engage our understanding in our minds, God, it prompts us to have a reaction on, a, on an intellectual level. If you have ever been outside, maybe you've gone to the mountains and you just look at creation and it's just unbelievable, the colors and the, all that you're seeing, you're just, you begin to think, wow, intellectually, it's just incredible. Maybe you've, you've held a newborn baby in your arms and as you, you feel the baby's warmth in the, in the breathing and you just begin to, to get caught up in the moment, your mind can just think, wow, this, this child is no accident. This was a baby, this child designed by our God and our minds begin to, to come into understanding of the greatness and the, the power that God has. But you know what the problem is? Many times our minds get distracted, don't they? When we come to church or maybe even you're, when you're at home and you're trying to worship, you can get distracted thinking about so many other things. Like I know I've walked into church thinking about a, a meeting I had coming up the next week. You know, it's like a tense thing or, or man, am I gonna be able to pay my bills this week? I've got a doctor's appointment coming up. What's gonna be the result of that? And my child is, is running a fever and going through all of this. And so my mind is going through all of this stuff and it's not focused on God. If you're a musician, maybe you've had this happen before. Like I know I've been uh, wanting to play a, a nice offertory or do a song with the band. It's like a kind of a hard song. And so for like 20 minutes leading up to it, I'm just thinking about that song. I hope I don't mess it up. Uh, 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 and my mind is not anywhere engaged in worship at this time. We can get so distracted. But here's the truth. When we, when we worship Jesus, 
when we come into his presence and we begin to engage our mind, it's that Jesus, he says, I wanna meet you in worship and show you all over again that I am Lord. I am Lord of the meeting. As we come into worship, our perspective changes and our aim begins to go back where it should be. And God, and Jesus says, I am the Lord of that medical situation. I'm the Lord of the, your children and you can leave it in my hands. And Jesus meets us and his word tells us that he has the power to guard our hearts and our minds. He wants to put your mind at perfect peace today. Lean into him and trust him. He is your God. The second thing we can learn today about worship is that worship is physical. Worship is physical. Listen to, if we flip over to Revelation chapter four, the scene up in the eternal worship around the throne of God. Listen to this. It says, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. And so you see here action happening by the, these elders around the throne of God. It's that they, they fell down, they laid their crowns before God. Psalm 95, six says, come and let us bow down in worship and let us kneel before our maker. You know, in our culture in America here, bowing down and kneeling to people, that's like, what? Like, we don't do that around here. You know, it's like, I don't bow or kneel to anybody. But, but God is saying, when you come before me, you come with a, an attitude of humility and of reverence and awe. And, and so we, it's like the hosts of heaven, they were laying down and as a sign of honor before the Lord. Worship is physical. There's so many ways we can worship him. If you think about it all throughout scripture, it talks about times when people were clapping, people were lifting up their eyes unto heaven. There's even a passage in there about uh, dancing. And so I, I was you know, gonna do the moonwalk for you, but I thought I'd hold off. And so then Paul later in 1 Timothy, he talks about an important thing. He says, I wanna see people Believers everywhere lifting up holy hands in worship, lifting up holy hands in worship. You know, there's some people that, that, that struggle with that. They say, you know, I didn't grow up doing that. It doesn't make any sense to me. And as I was thinking about uh, why do some people we worship uh, by lifting up hands and it, it, it brought me back to thinking about my little grandson, Elliot. He's six years old. And when he was growing up, uh, there'd be times when he would run into the living room and he said, Grandpa, and he would just do like this with his hands. He's like, Grandpa. And I would just bend down and, and, and pick him up. And so when he was doing that, what is, what is he saying? He's saying that I want your attention. I want you to draw me into yourself, into your presence. And I wanna be where you are. And so there's many, when you see people that are just raising a hand, just in surrender saying, Lord, here I am. Draw me into where you are. And you know what is it's kind of sad is that the church can become a place of judgment. If you think about it, a lot of times people come in and maybe they want to feel a freedom in worship, but they think of, Oh, what are they thinking about me? And, and we look around and we say, why are they wearing that? And man, they're a fanatic. What are they doing? And so I want to challenge you to allow the Lord through this series to, to begin to, to challenge your heart and to grow you, to shift your perspective and to take on a, a perspective of love. When you see somebody worshiping 
differently, like come with love and understanding. And maybe God is gonna stretch you to, to experience him and worship him in new ways. For God created us physical beings and he loves it. He loves it. It thrills his heart when we respond to him with not just our voice and our mind, but our, our body in worship and we give him praise. The next thing is worship is musical. Worship is musical. Let's turn over now to Revelation chapter five and take a look at what's going on in eternal worship. It says, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Each one of them had a harp. You know, when I was a teenager growing up uh, and sitting in church and I heard this preached, I didn't get too excited about this. You know, maybe you're there, you're like, what's going on? Like with all these, are we just gonna be in heaven sitting on a cloud, you know, strumming harps? This really doesn't excite me too much. Like, I, like all of eternity, really, I gotta do this. But then as I began to, to dig into and learn scripture later and get into uh, the meaning of the language, I, I found that this word, each one had a harp. This phrase here actually talks about a stringed instrument, like a lyre, which could be a, a stringed instrument that is laid across your lap and strummed. Like, what is that conjuring in, image of? It's, it's a guitar. And so as a young man, I was like, hey, a guitar in, in heaven. I, okay, it's starting to get cooler every moment here. I like this. If it's an electric guitar, you know, I can hang with this. But, you know, there's some people that... that don't like that, and that's okay. We're gonna talk about that in just a moment. But here they are, there's music in heaven. They're singing, there's, there's instruments playing. All throughout our history as God's people, music has always been intricately involved in our worship. If you think back to the Old Testament and the feasts and the festivals that they had, they had the sound of trumpets and there was just celebration. They would go into battle. The Old Testament talks about sometimes and in a couple of instances, they actually put the musicians out in front of the warriors, if you remember that. And, and it's like, you're, a, you're one of the musicians like, hey, I don't know if this is a great idea. I wanna trade in my, my symbol for like a sword or something here, but they, they, God sent the musicians out, why? In a great voice of praise, he, he confused the enemy and they turned on themselves many times and just annihilated themselves, showing the power of music and praise. If you wanna learn more about the instruments mentioned in the Bible, one of the greatest places to read is Psalm 150. It just goes on and on, symbols and, and all this this incredible list of, of instruments. You know, I talked to some, some other believers and they go, well, I don't know if, we, if there's gonna be any instruments. Like we don't worship with instruments. And I wanna say, look right here in scripture, uh, God loves it. He loves instruments. They're listed all throughout scripture. Martin Luther, back in the day, he loved, loved music. And he acknowledged the power of music and praise and listen to what he said back in the day when he said this, the devil, the originator of sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. Music is a gift and grace of God, not an invention of man. Thus it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. 
He goes on to say this right here, beautiful music is the art of the prophets that can calm the agitations of the soul. It is one of the most magnificent and delightful presents that God has ever given us. Wow, Luther knew the power of music. He was a pastor and he could see how it affected his congregation and, and, and in the lives of people. And as you reflect back on the power of music, maybe you remember when David took his harp and he went into Saul, who was his, he was just uh, in anxiety and complexities in his mind and he was distraught and David began to play and he soothed his spirit. There's a power in music and God created music. He took the vibrations in the air from a string or a, a, an instrument and he, he made it where it would, would reach deep with inside of us and, and touch us in a supernatural way. I mean, imagine the power of music. When you were growing up, remember how you even learned language? Hey, take this for example, remember A, B, C, D? Yeah. Yeah, you remember, it locks it in to your mind. God uses music to help us learn. There's been studies where people have gone into a memory care facility and they've lost a lot of their memory. I can't even remember uh, family members' names. And there's been times when people would sit down in there with their family to visit them and they would begin to sing the old hymns of the faith that they knew that their loved one had sung. And they would begin to sing with them word for word. The, the person who had maybe lost all their mental, mental facilities in a lot of areas, there was still a deep connection with music. It touches us deeply. The problem that we have a lot of times in the church, if you think about it, it's that we get into this uh, a debate over preferences. If you think, like, I like organ music or I like the, the, the guitar and the drums. And so we, we get into these, these debates over, like, is this one better? Like, uh, what's all this stuff? But if you think about it, that, that style and preference, they're not really mentioned in the Bible. Like, we don't know what Jesus and, and then they were singing on the Sermon on the Mount. I know they probably didn't, uh, you know, bring a big organ out there or even an electric guitar. They were just, they were singing because here's the truth today, that it's not about our preferences. We gotta be careful not to, to fall into something where we're gonna worship a style or a preference, but we leave our hearts open to God and we worship him. We come openly and we say, Lord, uh, help me to, to just set aside the things that I cling to and, the, and where I'm the center of attention here and let's, let's make it all about what you want, Jesus. Worship is musical. Next, worship is vocal. Vocal worship is a response to what's happening on the inside of us. As we move on in Revelation chapter five, let's look at verse nine. It says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons of every tribe and language and people and nation. They sang a new song. You know, we don't know the melody to that song, but someday we will. They sang, they participated. You know, when you sing, you actually obey God because the Bible says, sing unto the Lord. Pastor Craig Rochelle, who's the pastor of Life Church, 
he said one day after church, a man came up to him and, and it was a guy in his church. He said, Pastor, you just don't get it. You know, you, y'all are asking us to sing, but I, I can't sing. I have this horrible voice. I, I just don't know if it even sounds good or not. Pastor Craig looked at him and he, he said, you know, he goes, next time you sing, I want you to, in your heart, say to God, okay, God, okay, this is coming to, from me. You created this voice. And so, like, if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to listen to it. It's all I've got. It's like, this is, I'm going to lift it up with all I have inside of me. And so, I, I'm just saying, like, nothing in my hands I bring. So, Lord, now you got to hear me sing. You know, something like that. It's just like, I don't have the greatest voice. But here's the truth, that God, he created your, your sound. And he knows it and it blesses his heart, no matter what you sound like. I'm gonna encourage you just to make a joyful noise unto the Lord there. If you're driving in the car, if you're at the house, when you're here in the sanctuary at the church with us in the worship center, sing and engage. You don't have to be, imper- you have to be perfect with it. Just, just come engage. And it says they sang a new song. You know, there's nine times in the Bible when it uses this phrase, they sang a new song. And why is this important? Some people go, you know, I just like the old songs. Like, can we just stay with those? Like every time y'all, y'all are always bringing out a new song. Just when I get to uh, learn the old one, there's a new one. Well, so what we're, we're doing here is we're trying to, to say, God, we want to be fresh in our worship with you. We want to come with a brand new expression that we love and we stand on the old and the, the theology, but we are gonna also move forward in a fresh voice. Back in Luther's day in the church in the 1500s, he was breaking away from the Roman church to, in, to, to begin a new church and he took the old liturgy from the Latin that was in the Roman church and he brought it over to Germany and he wanted to sing in the language of the common people to put it in German. But here's the thing, it didn't work. Like when they tried to, to cram German language over a Latin liturgy, then the, all the, the, sil- the syllables got all off. The syllables wouldn't fit in the right accents. And so what Luther did was he put out a call to composers around Germany that understood the culture and the folk songs and, and the music and classical. And he brought them in. He said, I want you guys to write a new liturgy for us. Martin Luther understood the importance of a new song. Worship is vocal. You know, sometimes here at church, when one of the other pastors is preaching, I like to slip in the back sometimes when we're getting ready to say one of the creeds of our faith, the Apostles' Creed. And it's such a great sound when you think about how we join our voices together and we declare our faith in unison. Wow, it's such a powerful uh, demonstration of our voices coming together in unity to, to communicate our part and our Christian message to each other to draw strength into the world. Because right now we live in a world, if you think about it, where culture is constantly coming against the church. It's a cancel culture. Like, don't say that. You can't say that anymore. Like, that's offensive to me. And the world comes against the voice of the church. But our God is saying today that in a world where the 
the antagonism is crescendoing, and it seems like our voice is growing down to a, a faint whisper. He says this to us today, that my word will stand. Nothing will come against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, and you are my people, and I'm calling you with confidence to raise up your voice, and to speak up, and to stand with courage. If there was any people on this planet that should be the worshipers, the singers, the proclaimers, the vocalists. It should be God's people. On this Valentine's Day, your Heavenly Father wants you to know that He loves you so much, and we can love each other because He first loved us, the Bible says. Our children's minister here, Roxanne, has put together a fantastic thing that we want you to have. And you can take a moment today to text the word love to 833-440-0137. And we want to send you God's love letter. What this is, is it's 53 passages of scripture from God's heart to ours that you can reflect on and read. It's a beautiful letter. It will touch your heart. And then during this Lenten season, we want you to have this. This is a, a, a devotional book called The Father's Love Letter, An Intimate Message from God to You. We've got these here at the church, but we're going to mail it to you if you will text us, uh, and we want to get this in your hands. And you can use this uh, daily uh, over these next weeks as we prepare for Easter and as you draw into the heart of God. He loves you so desperately, and worship is a response to that love. Skip Isaac. A pastor in Phoenix says this, when revival comes to the human heart, renewal comes to the human voice. Have you lost your voice? Have you lost the joy in your song? You say, Jay, you don't know what I'm going through. You just have no idea all the pressure I'm under, the uncertainty around me. How am I supposed to worship right now? I've just, I've lost my joy. It seems like the, that the notes of the song of my life had gone sour and out of, out of key. The tune has turned cynical and minor and dark. And this morning, the one who loves you, your Savior, Jesus Christ, he comes and he wants you to know this. He says that I am the one who conduct the hosts of heaven I have written an anthem of praise for them, and I've written you a special love song. It's written by my life, and it's sealed in my precious blood on the cross when I died for every one of your sins. And then I, I proved it, and I've demonstrated it, and I won the victory for you when I rose again. You can live now in victory and in strength. Imagine, church, if we were to rise up as, as his people with a new perspective, with our, with our aims set back on him and, and realigned on our great God. I want to ask you this as we wrap this up this morning, a personal question that you can reflect on this week. And I want you to ask, how can I grow to worship God more fully? Maybe God's calling you to go deeper in his word and to learn more about him intellectually. Maybe he's stretching you emotionally or physically to, to be more expressive, whatever that looks like. 
I pray that you would respond to the Spirit as he's moving and challenging you. Imagine if we were to rise up as his people, as his, as his worshipers, and we would uh, leave a legacy and we would live out an example of what it means to live a life of worship, not just on Sunday morning, but every moment of every single day. Great are you, Lord, and to you be the glory. Amen.